I just want to begin this morning by reading a passion passage, excuse me, out of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. And Paul says this, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I want to speak a message today called, There's More to This War. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we just welcome you once again into this place. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for what you want to say in this moment, in this room, at this time. God, just give us ears to hear it. And God, even as Paul wrote there, God, give me words to speak it this morning. And I just pray that you would do that in this place. We know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there is this principle that you may not be familiar with the name of it, but I promise you it has happened to you and you are familiar with the phenomenon. And it is called the Bader-Meinhof Phenomenon. It has a really cool name, but it's a really simple thing that I know that you've all experienced at some point or another. This is what happens when you decide to buy a certain car and you research that car and you look into that car and you're constantly studying that car and then suddenly everywhere you go, you see that car. And you pull up to a stoplight and it's one of those cars that pulls up next to you. You pull into a parking lot and one of those cars is parked next to you. You pull into a drive-thru and one of those cars pulls up behind you. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. And those cars are not more prevalent. It's just that you are more aware of them. And lately in conversations that I've been having, I've been experiencing this phenomenon where the conversations tend to go a certain way. And I'm talking to people and basically what they're saying to me is, you know, I keep trying, but no matter how hard I try, I can't seem to get past fill in the blank. No matter how much I change, no matter how much I shift, no matter how much I try, I keep bumping up against fill in the blank over and over. I keep bumping into this same issue over and over. And have you ever had a fight or an argument that at some point during the course of the fight or the argument, you realize that you were not actually fighting about what you were fighting about? Like the fight was actually about something else. When Kristen and I were about two years into our marriage, we decided that it was time that we wanted to start a family. We wanted to have our first child. And I don't want to overstate it because people that I know and that I'm close to have had a much more difficult time getting pregnant than we had. But with our first child, we did have a difficult time getting pregnant. 
And several months went by to the point that we were starting to have some conversations with our doctors about what the next steps would be if this didn't seem to work out. And if you've ever been in that situation or any situation similar to that, you know that there's just an extra level of pressure. And to add to that, we'd only been married about two years and I was in between jobs. So we were in the process of moving to another city and my first job had ended. My second job had not begun yet. And, you know, especially in those early years of marriage, a gap in employment is never the most comfortable feeling in the world. So we're dealing with that. We're dealing with this issue of trying to get pregnant. All of this stuff is going on. And we're sharing one car. And it's not the best car. It's not the greatest car you've ever seen. And Kristen is in this moment that I'm about to tell you about. She is... To, to, to put it lightly, she's upset with me because I feel, like, I, I feel like tires last significantly longer than they tell you tires last. And I've taken this to the extreme a few times where it's gotten us in a bit of a bind. I will ride on my tires until there's like metal showing in the tires. And Kristen does not appreciate this. She thinks whatever mileage they tell you is the mileage at which you should change your tires. She's probably right. I've gotten better about this. But at this time in particular, I was not about changing the tires. Because even to this day, changing your tires, I know this is not true, but it feels like you're spending money on nothing. You feel like you get nothing for it. And I know it's safer. I know it's better for your vehicle. I know all of those things. I'm just telling you that when you spend hundreds of dollars on tires, it feels a lot like you spent money on hundreds of dollars for nothing. And so we're in this argument, and Kristen gets to the point where at one point she tells me, literally, and we joke about this to this day, but she says, everything we have is crap. Not done. Because you let it go to crap, she said. And if you know Kristen, she's so sweet. This is not like her, but she was not having it with these tires. And we were really kind of having it out. Two years into marriage, it was a pretty serious fight. And so finally I was like, you know what? I will go, I'll, I'm gonna go change the tires right now. I'm gonna go do this right now. And so I leave the, house, the apartment at the time. I leave, I drive, I'm on my way to a tire place. And like 10 minutes later, my phone rings and it's Kristen and she is hysterically sobbing. And this is not like her. Again, she's hysterically sobbing. And she's just like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I, not everything we have is crap. I know you work really hard. I know I'm so sorry. I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed. And I've been thinking about it tonight. And I think I might be pregnant. And, and I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. You think you might be what? And she's like, yeah, I think I might be pregnant. And I was like, okay, so now I'm not going to get tires. I'm going to get a pregnancy test and we're going to figure out if this is the issue. And suddenly though, in that moment, we had been fighting about tires, but I was like, oh, this is not about the tires. There is more going on in this situation that we were unaware of just a few minutes ago. And it's amazing how as soon as we realize, oh, actually, and she was pregnant, actually, there's more going on. There's a reason that this got so emotionally inflamed. It was never about the tires. There was more going on under the surface. And it's amazing how as soon as we knew what was going on kind of beneath the surface, suddenly the tire issue was not as big of a deal. Like we still needed to deal with it. We still got the new tires. We still took, it bought me a little time though. It bought me a little time, the pregnancy did. But we still needed to take care of that issue. It wasn't that there wasn't an issue with the tires. It was just that there was more to the issue than we were addressing. 
And what I wanna tell you about your life is that for many of you, you are in a battle, you are in a war, and there is more to the war than you realize. There is more to what you're walking through than you realize. There is more going on beneath the surface than maybe you realize because the, the Bible is clear that for those of us who are believers, that we have an enemy and that enemy's sole job, the sole thing that he is after is to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, the Bible says that he is seeking those that he might steal, kill, and destroy. He is being active against you. And so it does us no good to pretend like it's not happening. It does us no good to pretend like it's not happening. And for many of us, we're trying to fight a battle in the natural that was meant to be fought in the spiritual. We're fighting a battle in the natural that is meant to be fought in the spiritual. Because here's what I know is that if the enemy cannot destroy what you are doing for God, if the enemy cannot destroy what you are stepping out to do, he will try to destroy your marriage. He will try to destroy your finances. He will try to destroy your children. He will come after you any way you can. And this is why for so many of us, we, we try, our, our finances are out of whack. And so we get our finances in order. And the next thing we know, it feels like once our finances are in order, now our family's out of whack. Once our family's in order, now it's our mental state and our mental state and now I'm physically. Because the enemy will come at you over and over and over. He'll jump from one thing to the next if you keep fighting him in the natural. You think you're going to win the battle in the natural, but the battle is more. Often that struggle is spiritual. The struggle is spiritual. And so it's a battle that we have to fight in the spiritual. And this is why so often you can feel like you're doing all of the right things. You can feel like you're taking all of the right steps, and it just doesn't feel like you're making any progress because we are only taking the steps that we need to take in the natural and not the steps that we need to take in the spiritual. And so, so often what ends up happening is we get worn out and exhausted of fighting the battle in the natural when all along we should have been fighting it in the spiritual. We should have been fighting it in the spiritual. The 2 Corinthians 10 verses three through five says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so, so many times what we have to do is we have to start with the spiritual. And so what do we do when we start to realize that we are in a spiritual battle? It's in that Ephesians chapter six verses that we read earlier where Paul says three times in a row, he says, you have to stand firm. And when you've done everything else, when you've exhausted all other options, stand firm. And then he goes on to say, stand. Three times he says, stand, but how do you stand in the face of a battle? How do you stand when you feel like everything is coming up against you? How do you stand when you don't feel like you have the strength to stand? See, when you, in order to be able to stand, you have to realize that you have all that you need to stand that you already have all that you need to be able to stand. If you're going to stand against the enemy, you have to know what you are up against and what you are fighting with. 
You have to know what you are up against and you have to know the tools that you are fighting with. And so I just wanna give you three things today that as you step into this idea of spiritual warfare, this idea that there is more to this war, three things as you step into that. And the first thing when it comes to spiritual warfare is that you should expect it, that you should expect spiritual warfare. If you are trying to attempt anything great for God, you should expect spiritual warfare. You should expect it. And for a lot of times we think when, when we talk about if you're doing anything great for God, you might think about some big exploit or some big plan. But I'm talking about like on Sunday morning when you're just trying to get your kids out the door and they refuse to put shoes on. Like I'm talking about when I'm talking about when you decide to start giving of your finances and you get a pay cut. I'm talking about these everyday things. See, sometimes we think about the enemy in this grand scale of like, surely he doesn't care about this. But those incremental changes, those incremental choices of trying to set your life on the path that God has for you, the enemy will come against those things. The enemy will make it harder for you to try to live the life that God has called you to live. And if you are doing anything in the direction of what God wants you to do, you need to expect spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 11 says, My purpose in writing you, this is Paul again, was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And if you have forgiven anything, I forgive it in the presence of Christ for your sake. In order that, listen to this, Satan should not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. For we are not unaware of his schemes. If you think about some of the worst attacks in our nation's history, they were attacks that were unexpected. They were attacks that nobody saw coming. When you think about Pearl Harbor, when you think about 9-11, these were attacks that nobody saw, nobody was expecting when they went to work that day. Nobody was expecting when they showed up to their job that day. Nobody was expecting it. You position yourself in a much greater place if you just step into life expecting, hey, I am going to face some stuff, but I know that God has prepared me and God has given me everything I need to do in the face of these attacks. I think this is why so many people over the last 20, 20 months, whatever it's been, have struggled with the whole COVID-19 and just the changes that have taken place is because nobody expected it. Nobody expected to step into 2020. 2020 started completely normal. We had the Times Square. We had the countdown. We had the ball drop. Everything was completely normal. And then suddenly it wasn't. And when we have something dramatic happen that we are not expecting, it affects us in a greater way. But what you need to realize is that so often the force of the attack on your life is directly related to the, your future effectiveness. It's directly related to your future effectiveness. The, the devil is going to come after you in a harder way when he knows that you are onto something. The highest level of spiritual attack comes just before the greatest spiritual breakthrough. Just before the greatest spiritual breakthrough. That's when the highest level of spiritual attack comes. And he's attacking you because he knows what's coming. He's attacking you because he knows what's coming. Coming. See, so often we think that we go through stuff. We get it twisted. We think that we go through stuff because God is mad about our past. Like, like I'm going through this because God is mad about my past. 
But so often what you are going through is not about God being mad about your past. It's about the enemy being mad about your future. It's about the enemy understanding, listen, I better put you through it because if you get through it, watch out. I know what you are on to. I know where you are heading. And you have to remember that you are being attacked because you are a threat. You are a target because you are a threat. You are a target because you are a threat. Your family is a threat. Your future is a threat. Your calling is a threat. You getting your family in order is a threat. You raising your kids to be godly kids is a threat. We see this very clearly in the scriptures in the book of Matthew when Jesus is about to step into his earthly ministry. Jesus lived for 30 years on the earth without doing any miracles. Jesus lived for 30 years on the earth without doing any ministry. He was just living his life. He was just working towards his destiny. And the Bible tells us that there's this moment where he's taken out into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is just before the beginning of his three years of ministry. And it's at this moment that Satan comes and tries to tempt him. Satan comes and tries to attack him. Why? Because he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. He knew the effectiveness of Jesus' ministry was just around the corner. And you have to be ready. You have to expect spiritual warfare if you're going to do anything for God. You have to expect it. You have to know that it's coming because you do not want to be caught off guard. And the second thing is this. You have to expose it. You have to expose it. When we go to Matthew chapter four, which I was just referencing, where Jesus is tempted and he's in the desert and it says this in chapter four, beginning in verse one, it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to a test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. Notice that each time Satan tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus called out the lie that Satan was trying to put in his mind. He called out the lie. He exposed the trick. He exposed what he was trying to do. And some of you in this room this morning, you are listening to some lies that you need to identify and you need to expose them for what they are. You need to expose them for what they are. See, the tactics that Satan uses with Jesus are the same tactics that he uses with you and me today when he comes and he tries to tempt us. He tries to get us off our destiny. He tries to attack us. Notice what he did is he he first made Jesus question. He will question your identity. He will question your identity. He says, if you are, if you are, you are the son of God. If that's really who you are, he will make you question your identity. Some of you are experiencing some confusion about some things in your life that used to be clear. 
You are questioning an identity that used to be clear. And God is not the author of confusion. Let me tell you something. If God spoke to you about your life, about your destiny, about what it is that you are called to do, and you are questioning that identity, you are questioning that call, I can just tell you right now, this is a sign of spiritual attack in your life. This is the first step as Satan always comes and he says, is this really who you are supposed to be? Is this really who you are? And I have to tell you, this was completely true. Many on our launch team have heard this many times, but this was true of Kristen and I. When we stepped out to plant this church, we had served in ministry for uh, almost 15 years. We had been worship pastors and worship leaders, and there was so much of our identity that was wrapped up in what we were doing for the church. There was so much of our identity that was wrapped up in leading worship and in being worship leaders and leading music and all of those things. And I can't tell you how many times as we stepped out to do this, that I would be sitting at my computer, staring at a blank page and a blinking cursor, trying to write a message and just hearing that voice of like, I don't think this is really, I don't think this is really who you are. Like, like maybe you should just, may, maybe you should just pick up that guitar again and go back to leading worship because that, that's who you are. That comes easy. That, that, that work, that happens easy for you. I, I think this is hard because this is not really who you are. And see, so often that's what the enemy will try to tell you is, you know, if it's a struggle, then it must not be your call. If it's difficult, it must not be what God's calling you to. If God's calling you to it, then it would be easy. If God was calling you to it, then it would be simple. If God was calling it to you, these words would be flowing freely. And I had to really push through that time after time after time and say, no, this is what God has called us to. And so I'm gonna press through even stronger. I'm gonna work even harder. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push even more. I'm going to step into what God has called us to. I'm not going back just because you are questioning my identity because I know what God has called me to. And I can just tell you, there were, there were seminal moments all throughout as we were planting this church where we would be just about to step into kind of a more solid situation with planting this church, whether it was starting to meet in our house or starting meetings here or whatever it was, right as we would come up on those things, almost every time it became comical, almost every time I would get a call from somebody somewhere, hey, are you sure? Listen, I know this great worship leading job. Are you sure? Because we would love for you to, and it was just this thing of, am I committed to the call that God has on my life? Am I committed to what he has called me to do? Am I committed to stepping into what he has called me to do? The enemy will always question your identity. And the enemy will always pressure you to perform. He will question your identity and he will pressure you to perform. He said, if you are the son of God, then do this. Turn these stones into bread. If you are who you say you are, then do something. And that's so often what the enemy does in our lives is, okay, if I can't get you off your identity, then prove it to me. Prove it to me. Show me that that's who you are. Do something. Perform. Make it happen. Do it on your own. And I love what Jesus says here as he says, no, I don't have to turn these stones into bread because I don't even need the bread because what my father has already said is enough. That, that every word that comes out of his mouth is what sustains me. So I don't have to manufacture something to sustain me because God is already sustaining me. 
And so often the enemy will come at you and say, listen, you better prove that this is who you are. You better do something to show me that this is who you are. You better do something to prove your worth, to prove your value. And listen, the answer is the same. No, I don't have to prove who I am. God has already spoken to who I am. God has already shaped my identity. What he has said is already enough. What I do on this platform, what I do in my call, this is not what makes me who I am. What God has said about me is what makes me who I am. And so we have to know, we have to know, listen, no, this is what God said, and this is who I am. We have to be secure in our identity, and we have to let go of that pressure to perform. And if you're here this morning and you've been feeling that pressure, let me tell you, that is another sign that you are on to something, that the enemy is, is attacking you because of what he knows about you. Number three is that he will exploit your weakness. He'll exploit your weakness. He will question your identity. He will pressure you to perform, and he will exploit your weakness. I love that at the beginning of these verses, it says Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and then a separate sentence, it says he was hungry. (laughs) I'd imagine so. What I love about that, though, and the reason I believe that it's in there, I don't believe that any word or any sentence is in the Bible by mistake or by happenstance. The reason I love that is because it would be so easy for us to say, well, yeah, Jesus was fasting for 40 days. And sure, Jesus was hungry because he was fasting for 40 days. And it would be easy for us to say, well, Jesus doesn't really get hungry because he's Jesus. You know, he's like, he's he's God. He's not really going to get hungry. And so the Bible was very clear. No, Jesus had been fasting and he was hungry. He was hungry. And I think the reason that that's in there is because it tells us that he was hungry, and then Satan immediately comes and says, why don't you make yourself some bread? Why don't I exploit this weakness? Why don't I come to you when you are at your most hungry and show you that, hey, you could do something about this? You could make some bread for yourself. See, we all have a weakness, We all have an area in our life, we have blind spots, we have places where we are weak, and the enemy knows those just as well as you do. The enemy knows those weaknesses just as well as you do, and he will come and he will exploit those places, he will push those places, he will twist those places, and he will try to get you to give in on your weakness. And then he will offer you a shortcut. He'll offer you a shortcut. Notice that he says, you know, Jesus, actually, ultimately, ultimately, what you are about, what your purpose is about, what your destiny is about, is about getting the world to give you glory, to return to you. So I'll take you up to the highest place and I'll show that to you and I'll, I'll give you all of that stuff. I will give you all of that stuff if you bow down to me, if you bow down to me, if you circumvent this whole process that you've come up with and just bow down to me, then I will give it. He offers you a shortcut. I'll give you everything right now. And it's right when things get tough that he offers them a shortcut. And the shortcut for you might look like just quitting early, just calling it quits, 
just saying, you know what, this is too much for me. You're right. I don't have to do this. I'm just going to quit. But can I just encourage you this morning, if you're feeling pressure in different areas of your life, don't quit on your marriage, don't quit on your calling, don't quit on your job, don't quit on your finances or your family or your kids. Do not take the shortcut. Press through to what God has for you. Press through to what God has for you. See, it's so often that you're, you're trying to have a godly marriage. You're trying to lead your family. You're trying to run a business with integrity. You're trying to follow the call of God on your life. And he comes along and he offers this shortcut. But when it comes to the attacks of the enemy, you have to expect it. You have to expose it. And then you get to experience victory. You get to experience victory victory. See, we have everything that we need to do what Paul said at the beginning of this, to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy, to stand firm when those attacks come against us. And the the problem is that so often we try to fight these spiritual battles in the natural, but he has given us the tools to fight them in the spiritual. He's given us everything we need to fight these battles in the spiritual. And I want you, if you're taking notes, to write these down. He's given us the name of Jesus. He's given us the name of Jesus. See, so often I think we talk about the name of Jesus, we sing about the name of Jesus, but I don't know if we always grasp that there is power in the name of Jesus, that there is power in the name of Jesus. When I was uh, about 15 years old, we were leading worship at this youth camp and long story short, we were, ba- we were coming down the side of a mountain, pulling a truck with a trailer that we later found out was re- too large for the truck that we were pulling. We were coming down this mountain, it was pouring rain. There came this big curve in the mountain and the mountain curved, but we did not. And the trailer just pushed the truck off the edge of the mountain. And we fell literally almost straight down at a 90 degree angle, about 80 feet and right into a large oak tree. We, the front of the truck hit up against it. There were three of us in the truck on one bench seat. The front of the truck hit up against it. The trailer came in behind it, accordioned the truck around the tree. The uh, bed of the truck had one of those fiberglass like lids on it, shot off, shot through the window right behind our heads. terrible, terrible wreck. As we were going over, I remember seeing my friend driving. I remember seeing him turning the wheel, was just doing nothing. As soon as it went over, he just shouted, literally shouted, Jesus. It's like sometimes there's these moments where like you don't know what to say. And even if you did, you don't have time for it. You don't have time for it. And I remember hitting that tree feeling the weight of the truck come around, watching the side of the truck come around the doors that we were in, feeling glass against our necks, feeling it fill our hair, fill everything, airbag powder everywhere. And then I looked to my left and I looked to my right and both of my friends were okay. We were okay. We were trapped in this truck for just a minute. We realized that the way that the doors had kind of accordioned open, there was like, there was a hole. We crawled out. We climbed up the mountain and we stood on the side of the road. We waited for an ambulance to come. The ambulances came, people behind us had called the police. They checked us out on the spot. 
nothing wrong with any of us. Not a thing wrong with any of us. We went back to the site that day to get some things that had flown out of the truck. And uh, the truck driver, the, the, they were there pulling the truck out with a winch when we, when we were there. We were getting some things. And the uh, guy who was driving the tow truck said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I assume you know these people. And we are like, we are those people. And he was like, I've seen a lot of wrecks. I've seen a lot of trucks. I've seen a lot of things. I would have never guessed anyone came out of this alive. And I'm telling you, I'm not one to just make up stories or tell stories or twist stories to feel a certain way, but I'm telling you, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name. The name of Jesus is enough. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon against the schemes of the enemy. And I can just tell you that even in that moment when he spoke the name of Jesus in that truck, there was this sense of letting go of like, God, I trust you in these next split few split seconds. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that the name that I need to call on is your name that the name that I need to call on is your name. He's given us the name of Jesus. He says, where two or three are gathered, what? In my name. He says, the signs and wonders will accompany those who go in my name. He says, when you pray, ask in my name. The name of Jesus is not like any other name. The name of Jesus has power in it. He's given us his name as a weapon against the attacks of the enemy. And he's given us his word. He's given us his word. The Bible over and over refers to the word of God as the sword of the spirit. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is an offensive weapon. It is what Jesus used against the enemy. When the enemy came against him, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written in my word. And let me tell you something. We talked about how we all have our weaknesses. We all have our areas. You need to know the word in the area of your weakness. You need to know the word in the area of your weakness. You need to know the word in the area that you are most tempted. You need to know the word. When the enemy comes against you, you know that weakness. You need to find scriptures along the theme of that weakness. And you need to say, no, I know you're bringing this against me, but guess what? I know what God said about my weakness. I know what God has said about that weakness. I know what he said, and this is what he said. So I don't have to listen to what you are saying. He's given us the word of God. He's given us prayer. And I don't mean just prayer like alone in your closet. That's important. But I believe there is something when we come together and we agree as a body in prayer. That we come together and we believe for one another's needs. That's why we started putting these cards on your chair that say prayer and praise. We pray over those cards every week because we want to agree in prayer for the areas that you need prayer. Because it is a weapon against the attacks of the enemy. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, those very verses we read earlier, he concludes this whole section on spiritual attack by saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer, with with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. Five times he says, pray, 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 pray. He has given us prayer as, a, as an attack or as a, a weapon against the attacks of the enemy. And last but not least, he has given us worship. 
There is something about when we come together, there is something about when we stand and we sing in the presence of God and we have expected and we have exposed the attacks of the enemy that then we stand in his presence with those attacks completely exposed and his presence comes in and we experience victory because we know that when we come together and when we worship, his presence goes before us, his presence ministers to us and his pre- it says that when Jesus exposed that Satan left and the angels came and ministered to him. And some of us right now in this moment, we need to identify some of the lies that the enemy has been speaking in our lives. We need to expose them and then we need to stand together and we just need to say, God, let your presence come and minister to us in these areas. Let your presence come and do the work that only it can do because when we worship together, when we sing together, when we stand together, his presence is available to us to do a work that only it can do. Would you stand with us today? 